Courtney and I have never met in person. Instead, we've connected through virtual meetings. We quickly realized that Betty and I enjoy brainstorming together about ministry, faith, and life, and that we have a lot to learn from one another. A virtual time together has felt similar to sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, something that feels so foreign since the start of the pandemic. We found ourselves talking about life, theology, and asking all the big questions without ever having to leave with any answers. So we decided to turn this cup of coffee experience into a podcast. We're building a platform that invites others to ask the big questions you don't always feel comfortable asking. We'll use wonder as a tool to dig us out of these questions and help us reimagine our ways of doing ministry. So grab a cup of coffee or beverage of your choice. We'll let wonder percolate together. So hello everyone, this is Betty and Court. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we, um, last time we met up, Court, we kind of did a part one. Um, and today we're kind of continue, gonna continue the conversation. Um, we left off last time talking about uh, starting small, especially in the church. When we wanna have impact or change, um, we talked about partnering with those um, within our communities, um, partnering with God um, to imagine um, a new way. Um, and so we ended saying that sometimes um, we just need to start small. And in one of our conversations, um, you had mentioned um, freckles from a book you read, and um, I would just love to learn more about that. Um, and so, yeah, can you tell me a little bit more? Absolutely. So yeah, a while back, you and I were having these conversations of what does it look like to start small and things like that. And um, I'm taking a community organizing class in seminary right now, just wrapping up at the end of the quarter. And we were reading Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And in Emergent Strategy, um, Brown talks about fractals. And so like this relationship between the small and large, essentially. And Adrian defines a fractal as a never-ending pattern. Fractals are infinitely complex patterns that are self-similar across different scales. They are cre created by repeating a simple process over and over in an ongoing feedback loop. And so as Adrian Marie Brown engages with fractals, she kind of brings in to this idea of like nature. And when we think of things on like a macro level, um, micro and macro level, in nature and in biology, we see different patterns throughout our world. So maybe I mentioned this last episode, I actually can't remember. Um, so if we look at, okay. like, at a cross cut of like a tree, so if you cut down a tree or cut it in half or whatever, and you look at the log or the stump that remains, it's kind of all those rings in the tree. And mm -hmm. then you look at like our fingerprints and things like that, and we have similar rings on our fingerprints. And so we kind of, we see patterns in ourselves that we also see in the rest of the world around us. And so when we're talking about fractals and this idea of starting small, Adrienne Marie Brown also brings in this idea that how we are at the small scale is how we are at the large scale. And a lot of this is directly quoted from Emergent Strategy. So I just wanna throw that out there to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. 
And so she was talking about, you know, when we, when we build, want to build something or change something, we can't always stop, start from the top down. Um, so if we want to redefine what church looks like, we can't always start in one way to think of it in our context is at the conference level or at the denomination wide level. I think that's definitely like a place that we can begin to make change. But if we can't, like that doesn't always trickle down or translate down into the small scale. So whatever we do at the small scale is whatever will happen at the large scale. And so when I think of this in context of a lot of the work that we do, as far as inclusion goes and anti-racism and LGBTQ stuff and insert all sorts of intersections here, Mm -hmm. if we want to have a church or a denomination, say, that is truly anti-racist, we have to be able to be anti-racist at like the local church community level. Mm-hmm. And in our last part, uh, part one, we talked about, you know, um, how some groups don't always want to make the changes that they need to make so that they will be more inclusive or welcoming or hospitable towards people of color, towards queer folks, toward people with disabilities, um, whatever it may be, because they, the argument there is often that those people aren't in our churches, so why do we need to make this change? Mm-hmm. When in reality, if we make that change, there's a higher chance that people will come, which shouldn't mm-hmm. be our reason for doing it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like we should mm-hmm. be making the change because it's the right thing to do, regardless of whether people within these like places of identity or social location are in our context. Um, yeah, and so if we want to like make that happen on a large scale, we have to be able to do it at a small scale and in my opinion, if we're going to do it at the large scale, we have to be like prepared to engage with folks at the lower level and help like translate it over in a better way than just um, this is what the conference is going to do. This is what the denomination is going to do. So then as a small church, this is exactly like what you have to do when it might not fit um, their model quite as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 Um, when you were speaking, I was trying to think the difference between mirroring too. Because um, the frackle is a new, newer term t- for me. And so, um, and I'm learning it from you. Um, and look forward to um, continue reading um, the book, Emergent Strategies, myself. Um, but, you know, if at the local church level or community level, um, can it be mirrored at a, a larger level too? Um, and I don't know if that if that happens, but that's what comes up for me um, too when you were, were speaking. Um, the other thing that comes up for me is um, courage and renewal work and five habits of the heart. Um, and uh, to help de- to help make democracy possible, and the fifth one is one that continues to um, catch me by surprise, or uh, it rubs me the wrong way because it says, uh, "Without a community, it is nearly impossible to achieve voice. It takes a village to raise a Rosa Parks." And, and every time I read that, I'm like, "No, Rosa Parks." Was Rosa Parks? I mean, you know, um, what does it mean for a village to raise a Rosa Parks? Um, 
without a community, says, um, it is nearly impossible to exercise the power of one in a way that allows power to multiply. Um, and so it made me think about freckles, like Rosa Parks, I would imagine, um, was inspired um, by others. And because of her bold action has inspired so many others, right? And again, that idea of there was something, something that started this movement or starting small to have a larger impact or be repeated um, like freckles. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're thinking about, you know, the first conversation part one of if we are like preparing, we use the image of you know, parents who are expecting the birth of their child, um, you know, um, if in the church we start small, um, start implementing, um, then what kind of impact it might have, not only in within the church, in the community, but then that movement, you know, for us who work at the, at the staff, you know, as staff members of the conference. Um, yeah. Um, I guess the other question I have too is, um, would there be pushback from those who have been marginalized saying that starting small is not enough, right? And um, that's another piece that I would, that I'm percolating on. I'm thinking, you know, is it a both and? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, but I'm gonna cheat for a minute. And I'm actually gonna turn it around on you. I feel like you always ask me the questions. So Betty, I'm gonna ask you uh, sure. that same question. Um, yeah. Do you, yeah. yeah, do you think folks who are marginalized, um, mm. yeah, do you think they'll see that as, mm. or we or they, however you wanna phrase it, as not being enough? What are, yeah, what are your thoughts? Mm. You know, I feel like an, you know, I'm Asian American woman, um, and so um, historically marginalized and continue to be part of a marginalized group, um, and and more recently, um, more uh, spotlight on um, discrimination discrimination against Asian Americans. So. Yeah, but then also, I think this question is hard for me because I am also feel very privileged too, as Asian American um, person who was born and raised here and had opportunities along the way, you know, so um, I know my experience um, is nowhere, you know, everybody has different experiences, but I, I do feel privileged too. So, um, and that's, you know, a lot of <laughs> thoughts for another time. Um, so I, I don't want to, I'm clearly not speaking for, for all experiences here, right? For sure. Um, I think that starting somewhere is hopeful, right? I mean, I've been growing up in the church. I grew up in the church. And so um, 
I've been through a lot of uh, bonkers things in life personally, um, and then also within the church. And I remember somebody along the way said, I'm surprised you're still within the church. And so here I am. And so maybe it's because I still have hope, right? That, that I have seen pockets of change and that I have witnessed freckles. And, um, but at the same time, um, I know um, that the pain is deep um, for a lot of our siblings, that they have had enough, you know, and they cannot wait any longer. And so um, perhaps it's a both and, um, like how do, you know, I'm thinking at staff, as a staff member, um, how do we, how do I in my role support local churches and beginning to take these steps, right? And I think you and I, we are working on providing resources and inspiration and encouragement and willing to partner with local churches to implement things. But then, um, but we also have an opportunity um, to, to make some things happen at the systems level too. So perhaps it's a both and. I know that's kind of a cheater way of saying things because it always seems to be both and, but um, I think that's where I'm at at this moment. Yeah. Um, I think the thing about, and, and I haven't thought about this much, but I'm just thinking about it right now, um, is um, I guess my fear always is doing harm. And um, and I feel like within a community, a smaller community, there's relationship opportunity for relationship, um, accountability, um, drawing each other towards each other. Um, uh, where at a larger level, we can do like a sweeping something, right? Like a, a policy, um, which could do a lot of good. But a, a sweeping policy done without care can cause sweeping harm too. So I haven't thought that through, but that's another thing that has just now come up for me. So again, that both and, and the risk and the possibilities. Um, all that to say is we do have to start somewhere. We can't just, you know, and I know that for, for many years, my um, go-to has been, I don't want to cause harm, so I'm just going to not do anything. That's not the good. So, um, yeah, what do you think, Bart? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with this both and concept, right? And when you had mentioned, you know, we can make like a large scale sweeping policy and that, that could do a lot of good, but on a small scale, again, like how does that translate down? And that brought mm -hmm. to mind to me, since we're having mm -hmm. a conversation about this next week, um, that brought to mind to me everything that's happening with the Biden administration and um, LGBTQ rights and protections. So we're seeing right now on a national level, uh, the Biden administration has lifted the transgender military ban. Um, they're, Biden put in an executive order that protects uh, sexual orientation and gender identity and discrimination um, or like protects LGBTQ people from getting fired from their jobs or facing housing discrimination, things like that. So like backs them up um, through policy you know, like they have legal protections if they were to face discrimination mm -hmm. in any of those areas um, and whatnot. So we're seeing all these like really awesome things happening for LGBTQ Americans at this large scale mm -hmm. level. But at a small scale, in response, we are seeing state legislatures 
all across the country. I think it's like at least 14 states who are debating the rights and the dignity and the existence of transgender, not just transgender people, but transgender youth. So Mm -hmm. like people under the age of 18 who, you know, still live at home with their families are super vulnerable in a lot of ways, thinking like as a teenager and all the like hormonal changes that are happening and just weird like obnoxious things that kids go through as far as like school and social circles etc and so on a large scale we have all these really really amazing protections but then at a small scale our kids um, our youth and young people and young adults are hearing this rhetoric that tells them that they don't matter that they um you know that they're sick that there's something wrong with them that uh they they don't know how to make choices to care for themselves. Um, so a lot of this is like tackling like healthcare too, like conversations that they have with their parents and their doctors and their therapists and whoever, um, mm-hmm. you know, for a long period of time before any healthcare decisions are made. And as a result, we're gonna see a spike in a lot of mental health stuff regardless yeah. as far as LGBTQ youth go and things like that. And so it brings into question, again, that will end if at a large scale this stuff is happening, but at a small scale it's not translating the same, and we're having these debates about um, whether or not queer people, and this isn't just queer people, right? Like this happens in anti-racism work um, for Black, Indigenous, and other people of color when we make decisions at a large scale level. So if in any uh, state or national organization were to say, okay, we are going to defund the police, we're going to reallocate our, our resources from police departments and ICE and the military and put it into um, education or healthcare or whatever else it is, we would still see this negative response, right? And we are seeing that um, in some states that are making moves, mm-hmm. things like that. So it takes people a little while to catch up. And so when I think of it in this context of like the both and, and all this like discourse that comes up when we start making progress in something, when I think of starting on a small scale level, it also has to start like with individuals, right? So I like the more individuals that buy into some of these policies or movements um, that are happening and not water them down. I think that's something that I've learned a lot as far as like the Black Lives Matter uh, movement goes um, is that their asks are very, very specific. And I hear often, usually in white liberal circles that, oh no, they don't mean defund the police, they mean this when realistically, and I, I say this hesitantly because I haven't like triple checked this, so don't fully quote me here, but when they might actually mean defund the police, we can't go around telling people, no, they don't mean defund the police, they mean this. And while it's true that they might mean, you know, we want to reinvest um, or reallocate resources into education and healthcare and um, mm-hmm. low programs for low-income families, things like that, we can't like change the words of what mm-hmm people on the margins are asking of us Mm -hmm. and so on an individual level I think we're called and expected to like do the work within ourselves to have accountability partners conversation partners um to like work toward growth and knowledge and understanding and at the large scale level we should still like be making these changes Mm -hmm. and while I want to say like yeah like we should all be patient and like you know know give people like the benefit of doubt like a little bit of grace those living in some like certain social locations that are often marginalized whether it's black indigenous people of color some queer folks they don't have like oftentimes we they don't have time to wait for people to catch up um 
I think of it as, well, from like a lens as a white person, I could say in anti-racism work, you know, like I'm just now learning this, like, like Betty, be patient with me. Like I need you to, um, you know, just give me some time. Like I'm still working on it. Like I'm just now like learning about all of this. But then in reality, if you've lived through that for however long in your life, you wouldn't have time for me to catch up, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So while I'm learning as a white person, as far as like anti-racism and stuff goes and learning about the impacts of racism in our world, while I'm learning, there are people who are fighting for their survival. And I think the same goes like from a queer lens. Um, sure. While while people are learning what does it mean to be transgender, what does it mean for transgender, two-spirit, non-binary youth, and other young people to, you know, get the care that they need, while they're learning and figuring that out, there are transgender, two-spirit, non-binary people who are fighting for their survival and struggling to feel seen and known. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so when I think the both and, I think that's super important. And then also remembering that, like, I think it's okay to, like, take your time but at the same time we have to remember like we shouldn't rush it but have to remember that there are people who have been living through this discrimination Mm -hmm. this harm for Mm -hmm. so much longer than Mm -hmm. I and others have been learning Mm -hmm. yeah um I had a thought and then it just slipped my mind because I was you know just um just really thinking about the the both end that happens oh um now I remember um you know, what you, you mentioned about community organizing um, with Frackles and, and through the, the class and the book that you're, the class that you're taking, the book that you're reading, Emergent Strategies. Um, I'll always remember a community organizer saying to me, you know, change or transformation happens at the rate of relationships. And then it made me think about some things that as a conference, I see beginning to change. Um, I think of you and and your presentation on just using pronouns and including it as staff, you know, in our signature or on Zoom or, you know, using it when we introduce ourselves. And now I see that happening uh, more and more as I hop on Zoom calls or see, you know, signatures and emails and things. And that that just, you know, again, reminds me of the importance of starting somewhere and relationships matter, right? Um, I think of another thing about um, creating brave space. I think that's just something that, again, is starting small in local churches and talking about creating safe and brave spaces. And now I think that language and that space is becoming a little bit more um, something folks feel comfortable living into or trying to create. And so, um, yeah, that both and, um, that, that both and. Um, all that to say, I think um, I'm hopeful. Um, there's a lot of work to do, right? But, but I'm hopeful that um, as disciples of uh, Jesus Christ, as Christians, as local church leaders and clergy and lay, you know, um, that, that we must get uh, involved and that there is a way to start, right? Um, I think that um, in our last conversation, if not sometime earlier, um, at another time, we talked about there's a lot of excuses why not to, right? We don't have X, Y, and Z persons here or money or whatnot. Um, 
and those those excuses can either um, sidetrack or uh, stop us from pursuing but starting small yeah yeah can make a huge difference you've brought up a couple times uh, finding hope in in this work and you mentioned earlier that you know some folks have said to you like I'm I'm shocked that like you're still in the church and said that for you to still be here uh, that might mean for you that you found or have experienced blips of hope in your work and in your ministry what what does give you hope in that um what does keep you in this work in this ministry in these conversations That's a good one, Court. You know I'm going to ask you back, so (laughs) are you ready? Um, I I really do believe that God's economy, God's um, uh, beloved community is something that is all is worth striving for like I mean like glimpses of that uh, glimpses of heaven glimpses of uh beloved community um is what uh, motivates I mean motivates me to say not only wholeness for for me wholeness for siblings around me yeah, that that keeps me at the table, I guess, um, is is a way for me to think about it. Is um, because I do believe that it is good. I do believe that if we trust what God longs us to experience, that um, yeah, that and I, and it sounds so selfish. Uh, which I'm having a I'm struggling with articulating with but um to think that there's wholeness my my that I'm connected to you and 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 we're connected to one another and when we can can glimpse a little bit of of that what God I think wants us to experience um that's what keeps me you know showing up or keep working towards that and maybe the other the the other side of it, maybe the shadow side is because I have seen and continue to see pain and hurt and um, what's the opposite of dignity? <laughs> um, you know, uh, being told that their people are not of worth and and so uh, yeah, I want people to know that they're of worth and that. Uh, that uh, there's uh, goodness and and care and yeah all the things your joy and love um, I'll always remember um, I was serving at the local church years ago and there was this lady who's you know later in her life but she's always lived in very abusive relationships and then she finally met someone at the church and they eventually got married and she said I never knew this is how good it could be. And this is somebody probably in their 60s at this point or so. And I think 
to me, that's like a glimpse of heaven. We, we just don't know. And if we allow God to work and give us courage to live into this thing, you know, um, I don't know that maybe that sounds like a, <laughs> a romanticizing, um, you know, um, beloved community, but we just don't know. Um, and I would love us to know. How about you? Thank you for sharing all of that. That was very beautiful and inspiring in a way. Uh, yeah, a lot of what you said like reminded me of some of the reasons why I continue to stay in the church and in ministry and and do the work that I do, um, which sometimes can be really exhausting. I don't know if you ever get like feel that. I would yeah. imagine. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And I think for me. There's a lot of similarities in that for sure in terms of what gives me hope. And I think part of it too um, is I I missed the memo that I couldn't be queer and Christian growing mm-hmm. up. I missed the memo that God couldn't, wouldn't, or didn't love me for being queer and trans and non-binary. And instead, I got the message that I was loved. Uh, that I was created like everybody else in the image of God. Um, I experienced beloved community in a lot of ways through my youth group, through uh, church camp and things like that. And then when I left that bubble after going to college and engaging with others, and especially now like being in seminary, it opened my eyes to how many people and like experimenting with like other churches and stuff in my undergrad, um, you know, coming into some faith communities that I wasn't so sure what their stance or theology was on LGBTQ individuals and identity. And yeah, so when I had my eyes opened to those who had opposite experiences, who received a different memo, a different version of the Bible, essentially, from the way that I've seen it, it reminded me that I. I think that there is, because I've gotten that message and others have too, of that, like, you can be queer and Christian, that God loves you as you are because God made you this way or that way. And so it kind of has pushed for me to continue to create those spaces and uh, encourage others to speak up in that, especially when that message is so loud and clear that queer people don't belong, um, that those who aren't cisgender straight white men don't belong in leadership in churches whatever and I say this often all the time when people are reconciling congregations um or whose churches are like LGBTQ affirming when they're like well you know we're affirming so like what more do we need to do but then you look at the headlines of United Methodist Church and if all you see like at a national level is that the UMC doesn't affirm LGBTQ clergy and LGBTQ marriage your, if your church isn't responding to that um, in your local community, then the queer people in your community aren't going to, aren't going to hear that message. They're just going to see the headline that they don't matter and that UMC doesn't care. And that might not like set, ever set through, step through your doors and into your sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so I think what gives me hope is, yeah, is my own experience of knowing that we can help people feel affirmed and give them a space to 
explore themselves and their identity and embrace them regardless of who they are. And I have also seen, I've seen changes of heart every now and then, um, which is a nice reminder that converse, like hard conversations and still being committed to being in a relationship with one another um, can mm-hmm. do some good. I'm not perfect at that. I'm not good at standing in when it's related to like my own intersections mm-hmm. of identity. I'm not great at like standing in uh, some of those hard places. But when we're able to, and when others are able to as well, um, yeah, changes of mm-hmm. changes mm-hmm. of heart happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then same thing like that shadow side. I think I'm just stubborn and you know, figure sense, like, I know that the church has caused harm and can cause harm. Part of me is like, well, let's, like, let's push back on it. Let's imagine something else. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what keeps me in this work. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. And thanks for your ministry. And um, thanks for, I feel like, and I, I think the example, when we talk about freckles, <laughs> I think about the example of your presentation. I mean, starting with Seth, um, you know, um, I don't remember when, but I feel like it was like towards the beginning of when, well, pandemic, when you first, I don't remember when you first came on staff, if we came on around the same time or, or whatnot. But um, again, um, that example of just, you know, pronouns, why that's important, you, you know, this has, has had a influence, I think. So, you know, and, and that gives me such hope. Um, um, I've had people even email me and say, Betty, I noticed, you know, and it's, you know, out of my context, um, being in a meetings, you know, in some capacity, yeah. talk about anti-racism, not even talking about pronouns, yeah. But because of my email or something, you know, maybe on Zoom, my name next to my name, you know, because of your teaching, um, I emailed and asked, and you know, like again, I think those are moments of hope for me, glimpses of heaven, and example of freckles at work. You know? So, um, all, I think, um, I think just kind of wrapping up our conversation or, or, or circling back to the beginning of our conversation is that yeah, we can start somewhere, all of us, yeah, um, um, individually at the local church and beyond, yeah, so let's, let's get at it, right? Yeah. Okay, let's get to work, <laughs> dive work. on in, no, but yeah, and, and likewise, thank you for you and your ministry, I know it is a lot of hard work, I know you're working in a predominantly white conference, and we have significant diversity um, as far as political leanings, beliefs, whatever, um, you know, folks coming from very small rural churches and folks coming from larger city churches. And yeah, I'm sure there are days where it's not easy. And I really appreciate everything that you do and everything that you've taught all of us and the speakers and the voices that you've brought to the table. So thank you. Yeah, well, we're in it together, right? And I think that's the other piece of hope is is uh is that i i um 
although, you know, like there are times where I feel lonely in the sense that in a pandemic, literally working alone, you know, and, and feeling like I'm in my own head, but, but in, in my mind and my deepest of my heart, I know that this work is not done in a vacuum, that there are those who are journeying alongside, like you, staff, and others, you know, clergy and lay, and that um, this is not a single person's journey. Um, and I think that that does give me a lot of hope. Yeah. So thanks for those who are listening. Thanks to court. I'm grateful for our conversations. Thank you, Betty. Thanks to our listeners. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll get together next time and see what's percolating. Yep. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you for listening to Percolating Wonder. Be sure to like and subscribe or follow us depending on what podcast platform you're listening on. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And remember, tell your friends.